Hello, everyone. I am pleased to introduce to you today our guest, Dorothy Brenninger, the organizer, the organizer extraordinaire. Dorothy, how are you? Oh, I'm just fine. Thank you for having me, Dr. Brewer. Well, you certainly are a busy individual. Your latest book is Stuff Your Face or Face Your Stuff. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. You've been all over the planet. Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Oprah. You appear regularly on uh, the Today Show, the Dr. Phil Show. How do you organize your life to get all these things in? (laughs) Yes, now that's the question. You know, I will tell you one thing. Here's the secret. I do have a junk drawer in my room. So uh, every house generally has a junk drawer, so I will reveal that information. But in terms of being organized with all these things that I do, I keep just one calendar, not multiple calendars, just one calendar. And I'm very, very clear about time management. I think that is the key. And and finally, I always ask myself each morning, what is the single most important thing I need to achieve today? And that keeps me really focused. Oh, that's very interesting. What is the single most important thing I need to do today? That's I would think sort of almost immediately can serve to cut down the clutter in your brain. Absolutely. It's, you know, we may talk about it later, but it's what I call emotional clutter. And when you know that you have to focus on one major thing or one major event, um, you, you get everything done around that, and suddenly the, you, you have such a release of all of the, you know, crazy that's going on in our brains with all the to-dos, suddenly we feel like there's a bigger flow and we can get to the other things that we have on the to-do list. But getting that one thing done is key. Well, certainly your to-do list, again, owner of three companies, it just seems to me that um, your to-do list seems to kind of grow exponentially with each passing year and month. How did organizing become a part of your life to begin with? You know, I actually um, was always a pretty good organized person. I was a secretary and executive assistant to deans and chancellors and CEOs in my early life. And then I got the bug to want to travel around the world, Dr. Brewer. So I spent one year traveling around the world, and I discovered, what is this? There are all these people who have so much less stuff than we do, and they are far happier. And it drove me to want to learn about it, get acquainted, start slimlining and downsizing what I had and then go into the uh, the world of organizing. You know, the notion that you can be happy with less stuff, that's really a challenge for a lot of us. Can you say more about that? It is a huge challenge. Um, just psychologically, we have an attachment to things because there are so many memories attached, nostalgia, especially if the person is no longer with us. Uh, We also have our identity is wrapped up into the things that we keep. If I were, let's say, a chef, which I wasn't, but if I were a chef for most of my life, it's likely that I'm going to want to keep all of my Bon Appetit magazines and all the gadgets in the kitchen and those types of things. So it's harder for me then to get rid of it. Um, So, yeah, it's hard to, to downsize the stuff. But on the other hand, 
if you watch what's on television right now, there are all these shows about Tiny Han. So our world is at a crossroads about what to do. I mentioned earlier that um, I referred to you as sort of the magician organizer uh, on the A&E program Hoarders. Can you talk about, first of all, the definition of hoarders from the program's perspective, and then a little bit about that experience? It just seems like it would be so overwhelming to walk into the home of someone who's a hoarder. It's it's overwhelming, certainly, for family members and loved ones to walk into someone's home where there is massive hoarding going on. And, and the term I like to use, or just a, a real easy definition, it's an unusual attachment to large scores of items, which are not stored properly. It's often in heaps, and the collection is so overpowering that it creates complications for the person who hoards and, everyone's a, and everyone around them. But it truly is a disorder. It's listed in the DSM-5, and uh, it, it, it's, it's very, very sad, but often the person who hoards does not want any help. And there is the television show that I do because I go in to try to help, and there's a lot of conflict. <laughs> well, you know, just listening yeah. to the way that you sort of describe the experience of hoarding, it sounds so much less judgmental than you're a hoarder, you've got to get rid of this, you're making me nuts, which is how people tend to talk to hoarders. So from the from the perspective of the program and from your experience within the program and Clearly, you're aware of the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that clinicians use in, in um, identifying an accurate diagnosis for the individual. What makes a hoarder? What's the difference between someone who has a collection of candlestick holders and someone who's hoarding candlestick holders? Got it. So real quickly, because I, I want to tell you the difference, but I also want to give a solution, uh, which is free to everyone. So if you want to learn more about hoarding and the levels, I want you to consider going to the Institute for uh, Challenging Disorganization. And just Google that, and you will be able to look up the different levels of hoarding to see what's going in and get the proper definition and get some help. It's all free to you. It's good information. But also the difference between someone who just collects candlestick holders and hoards. The person who collects will generally have them um, stored and displayed in a beautiful way in a cabinet. They dust them. They take care of them. They bring them out at a certain time. They tell the story about them. It's a collection. Or they keep it packaged so that they can resell it at another time. So there's care around it. Hoarding is the person has those same candle holders, but they're mishmashed in a heap along with old pizza boxes, plastic recycling, food, magazines, clothing, tools, and it's just stored at the bottom of all of that, and one's half broken and the other one's still, you know, still in good repair, and they can't find them, and they, oh, it's tragic. So you can see just the way that we hold dear the item that we're collecting versus the item we want to hold dear that's piled up in a hoard. And as you describe the difference, you know, 
I, I can almost feel myself starting to feel anxious just at picturing what you're describing. What's it like for the person who is the hoarder? Um, because they don't feel anxious necessarily around all of that stuff. How do they feel? Oh, there's a great sense of comfort, Dr. Brewer. For me as an organizer to come in to help someone clear the hoard is anxiety driving. It's the worst experience for them. They don't want me there. They don't want me touching their stuff. Um, You know, one of the reasons, and there are many, but one of the reasons that a person uh, may hoard is because there's been a major loss in their life, and that stuff represents a great big hug. And so when you remove all of it, it, it's, it, it's the worst thing. So they feel very comfortable. They know where things are. Even if it's, you know, piles of envelopes and bills located inside the stove or the oven, which is no longer working in their kitchen, they know that they can find their last bill in there and pay it. You know, when you add to it an understanding of the the things underneath the hoarding behavior um, that can generate the hoarding behavior, then, you know, the, the anxiety can begin to fade some as people can begin to have compassion instead of anger for the person who's engaged in the hoarding behavior. And I think that's part of what we do on the show, Hoarders, is when we are able to, it's not always just working with the person who hoards, it's really working with the family to help them see compassion and try to eliminate the anger. Because we're so close to the people as family members, if you have someone in your own family who is hoarding, you you were correct. The first reaction is, let's just light a match to this or let's back up a dump truck to this and just throw it in. Well, nothing scares a person more than threatening to take their things away. <laughs> so you're absolutely right when we need to teach the compassion to the family members and friends around them. talking thus far about the physical things, um, the physical clutter in which uh, a hoarder lives. But you've also talked about and written about not the physical clutter, but the emotional clutter. What are you referring to when you talk about emotional clutter? Yeah. You know, clutter can come in the form of so many things. I have authors who, you know, have so many books and so many ideas that they can't you know, decide what to write first or which article to to go and proceed with next. People have all sorts of clutter. I talk about body clutter, which is having too much weight on your body, too much, as I call it, flour and sugar on your body or quantities. Um, But emotional clutter is the stuff or the thoughts in our head that keeps us paralyzed from doing things and moving moving forward. Uh, I'll give you an example. For me, 
because uh, I know we're also talking about caregiving today, but my highest weight at one point, Dr. Brewer, was 200 pounds, and I'm short. I'm, I'm just barely five feet tall, and I, I got there because I had to deal with my sister's cancer. She was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer, and I thought, oh, gee, I need to move back in with her, help her out. She and my mother lived together. I was 45, moving back home with my mother. I was doing the hoarder show by day, working with clients in early evenings, caregiving in late evenings, and eating ice cream and everything else at night and gained all of this weight. And so I noticed that because I felt guilty and I was paying her bills and my bills and doing for the whole family, I was overwhelmed, but I did it all because of guilt and that's one of the characteristics of caregiving. And that was emotional clutter. I couldn't release that for a long time. So finally, you know, I was able to let it go. I did lose 75 pounds, and it was because I moved out and took action around this emotional clutter. So that's one example of having guilt as a point that was a paralysis for me. And, and what generated the guilt for you? Well, oh, for me was my sister was not healthy. She's pretty much my age. And here I am, what seems to be, you know, romping all around the United States, traveling to all these cities to do this television show and be on TV and go on the Today Show and go on Dr. Phil and hair and makeup and pretty outfits and you know it seems like a great life and and i'm able to walk and talk and be happy and she's you know in chemo and she can't work and she can't pay bills and she can't get out much Uh, i carried the guilt so you were healthy and she was not right is is now you created um uh an e-book um, called Cancer Concierge. Was that in response to the experiences you were having with your sister, Pat? That's so kind of you to ask. It came about because of that and my business partner. think life is strange, right? She has a sister as well. Her name was Selma Schimmel. And Selma was the youngest cancer, uh, a cancer survivor. It's not the youngest, but she had cancer in her teens and uh, battle cancer all the way until just a couple of years ago. And I also worked with Selma and how to stay organized amidst your life of having cancer, plus there was my sister. So my business partner, Debbie, and I put together uh, this um, this resource, and it's the cancerconcierge.org, and it's a total roadmap, not just for people who have cancer, but it's for, for people who are doing caregiving. And you know, this is through Selma, Debbie's sister. This is through her charity that she actually founded back when she was a teen, and it's called Vital Options. And um, it's amazing. We can set up our support team, learn caregiving tips to support the entire family dynamic, keep the household running, they're managing the impact of your news. It's great for people with cancer. It's also great for people who are coming into caregiving or just need to brush up on how to take care of themselves. Well, you know, I, I'm glad you added that because I, I looked at it and I thought, well, this is great for anybody. Um, yeah. So it, 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 tell folks how they can get uh, get a look at this ebook that you've cr- created. 
there's two ways to go about it. One is to go to the cancerconcierge.org. Um, and it's there in three or four different forms. You do not have to put in your name, your address. You don't have to put in an email in order to get it for free. There are no strings attached. This is just something we are giving to the world. So you want to go there or, same place, go to digitallifecloud.com, which is something I'll also mention later. And it has so many free resources for your listeners, but it has... Um, the Cancer Concierge ebook also. So just go to either place, look around, get all the free resources, share it, give it away. It, it's amazing. Well, you know, as I was looking at the the Cancer Concierge ebook um, and and recognizing that there are well over four million people in the world today who are caregivers, I thought about just the caregiving aspects of helping someone who's close to you who has a life-threatening or certainly life-altering experience. Again, given that the diagnosis itself or the growing awareness that someone needs help in a different way, those experiences can be overwhelming all by themselves. What, <laughs> yes. What What's a first step that one would take as you're taking in sort of the weight of this new information? You know, I mentioned my business partner, Debbie Biddix, and she created what's called the three G's. Um, and the first of those is, number one, to get informed. And, you know, you can get informed in many different ways, but I'll give you just an example of three of them. Try going to the National Alliance for Caregiving. Free information, loads of info. The other one is even though your person that you might be doing the caregiving for is not aging, I still like to recommend AARP because they have such an amazing wealth of information there. And then finally, I suggest going to Healthio 360. Healthio 360, that provides you lots of videos about how to, you, you just look up the certain disease that the person is experiencing or has, and you can get support from those videos, information. They also have a support group there. So those are just three. Um, there is another one called, there's a book that I refer to often. It's called The Complete Elder Care Planner. Um, it's by Joy Love. L-O-V-E-R-D-E. And that's a great book that has lots of information, but you could also, you know, visit digitallifecloud.com where you can get that same stuff and it's all online. It's sort of, you know, what feels good and right for you. Um, So it's critical that this be organized and accessible to all family members. So you can do it both manually or digitally. So if you're going to do it manually, I want you to put together a binder where you can just even take sticky notes and post, these are all blood tests. These are all about the last surgery. These are all about the appointment schedules so that you can flip to the right section in your binder, but just have it located all in one spot. The other part about the manual side of it, Dr. Brewer, is people often feel we need to file all this paperwork. 
and I say, hmm, people these days aren't necessarily filers, but more like pilers. So let's at least get that information into a pile that if you need to look up any of that medical information or insurance information, it's just in one pile that's called insurance or one pile that's called medical. So that's the manual system of doing it. But if you're going to go digitally again, I would, you know, recommend something like digitallifecloud.com where you can organize everything digitally. They have forms there for you to to fill the information in, you can store it, and you can pull it up on your phone. Um, for example, for me, when I was traveling to Italy with my sister who has cancer recently, I was able to find everything and keep all her medical records with me while we traveled. And um, so that's the second G. So there's get informed, there's get organized, and finally get moving. And that means you want to look for a second opinion, this is being active in action, or you want to join a support group for yourself, or you want to arrange for outside help. And that's just to manage those last two are just for the caregiver themselves because there's so much going on. So get information, get organized, get moving. What's going on? For example, I was just in Dallas yesterday uh, visiting my sister, and she's still going through her chemo. She's she's not well at all. She just came off radiation. She's no longer reading anymore, Dr. Brewer. My sister reads the newspaper faithfully every single day, and she reads a book, a chapter, at least every single night. She wasn't reading. And then I also noticed that her handwriting was crooked when she was writing. It was not staying in line. My sister was meticulous about this. These are just tiny side effects that I'm seeing, but it's something that I can write down and track so that I can say to my doctor, she's no longer interested in her favorite thing reading, and she no longer can write even in a straight line. She wobbles when she walks. So these are all things that is really good input. And when we went to see the doctor, he said, oh, yeah, these are the effects of the radiation. I can give her this particular drug to counter that. Not that she wants more drugs in her system, but sure. just that simple reporting allowed us to shift the caregiving that we were giving her. And, and how many times do we go to a doctor and, and we, we, we know we're having some sort of side effect, but, you know, the question is, well, when did this begin? And we're like a deer in the headlights. We have no idea when it began. So again, tracking the side effects is such a critically important thing. Absolutely. In fact, you know, there is another book out there. It's called The Senior Organizer, uh, which has all of this information where you can track side effects you know, make note of the doctors and the appointments and the medication, or you can do the digital life cloud, which either way, one is, I, I bring up both all the time because some people are moving to digital version, so they have it on their phones or their iPads or tablets when they're at the doctor's office. And others still prefer, like me, I have both, but I also always take my binder with me. Interesting. 
So you've got your backup with you at all times. It's so critical to take advantage of those kinds of services. And, you know, so many times people will say, um, and I would suggest perhaps one gender more than the other, who needs a support group? I'm too busy. But these support groups can be lifelines if you have found one that is a good fit for you. Yeah, and I have what's called the self-sufficiency fallacy. <laughs> it's what it, it's a it's a fallacy not only for me but I give this in lectures all the time. But you know we think that because we can do this thing, I can care for somebody else. I can work. I can put out a family newsletter. I can do the holidays. I can drive. I can I can I can. It's a self sufficiency fallacy because we can't do it all, and so just because we can doesn't mean we should. And that's why you want to, you know, use some of Debbie's three G's, which is, you know, not just get informed, but to, you know, get get help, get support. We need the support. You want to design your team, get your support team together, just to find a few people who can do a few things that lift the burden. One person can do grocery shopping, even though you know how, jeepers, who doesn't? And you normally have the time. But what if you just didn't have to worry about that one thing and someone would pick up your groceries twice a month? Just that one thing helps. You know, the uh, the belief for many people that caregiving has to be this exhausting, burdensome, oh my goodness, do I have to do this another day kind of a thing, can really get in the way of the critically, emotionally, and physically important need to, as you said, find supports, find folks who can pick up the slack, or even when it doesn't feel like there is any slack, give you a break every now and then. That's just so important to you, certainly your physical health, but absolutely your mental health. I want to scream out to the world and say, this is your life. You may be a caregiver, but this is your life. You only get one. The person for whom you're caregiving only gets one. I like to divide it up and say, let's do a one-for-you, one-for-me plan. That way, everybody gets to live their best life and get the best care they can. So... I do caregiving for my sister in Italy. We're there all day. I spend the day cooking. I get her food together. I make sure she's sleeping. She took her medication. We're on vacation. One for her. Are you okay, Pat? Yes. Okay. Do you feel comfortable? Do you have the phone right next to you for an emergency? I'm going to go out and see the Sistine Chapel right now. Really difficult for me to do. I'm going to be gone for three hours, but this one's for me. And when I come back... I'll kind of uh, sit with you and tell you about it and read to you. Does that work? Yes. So one for Pat, one for Dorothy. But it's got to be one for you, one for me. Otherwise, the resentment comes in, or in my case, the weight, the weight gain, whatever it is. You want to, it's your life. Enjoy your life and also do some caregiving. You can actually fit both in the same experience and, it, and be okay. You can. It takes courage, Dr. Brewer. That's where the support comes in. Get the support. Get the courage. Take care of you. Dorothy Brenninger, who is the founder of the Center for Organization, 
as we've talked today, there are so many things that you do and so many services that you offer. Um, for those listening who really want to clone you, as do I, and bring you home, if we can't do that, where can we go to get more information about all the things you're doing? Uh, I would love for you to stop by my website. It's DorothyTheOrganizer.com, and there are more than 40 videos. There are resources, free links to everything. It's, it's a website that's chock full of free information and you know, places to go. You can just get what you need, and if you don't, email me, and I'll get back to you. My, everything is there. So DorothyTheOrganizer.com. Terrific. So for all of you who are unable to clone Dorothy, DorothyTheOrganizer.com is the next best thing. You're too kind. Thank you so much, <laughs> Dr. Brewer. <laughs> Dorothy, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us so much wonderful information that we can use right now to enhance the quality of our own lives. Thank you. My pleasure. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications and is available to you on demand at mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. There any number of places online where you will be able to listen to a Mind Talk program. But the easiest thing to do, if in addition to going to mindtalk.org, is to download the Mind Talk app. You can get the app at the iTunes or the Google Play stores. And folks, I want to remind you that if you would like to be in touch with me directly, Pamela at mindtalk.org is my email and I answer my emails. That's P-A-M-E-L-A at mindtalk, M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You take care. (music) 